Welcome back to Work Actually, the podcast that delves into the reality and behind the scenes of different jobs and careers, as told by an interesting person in the role. Now, I loved chatting to today's guest. I love it when I have a specific perception of a job in my own head, and then it's different in reality, and this was the case. I chatted to an art consultant that I thought would only really be someone the super wealthy would hire, when in fact it's so accessible and certainly something I'd consider now. You know, it's a huge... um world the art world and it's scary and it's quite intimidating and some gallerists some galleries are petrifying places to walk into and uh i try and just demystify that so today's guest is the fabulous louisa warfield We talk all about how she got into the role of being an art consultant after being in a senior marketing position at Unilever. She retrained. She went through a divorce where she lost some of her personal art collection. But then the amazing outcome was that she got to work in a field that she really loved and is helping emerging artists find recognition. I would really love to know what you think about the chat and if you'd consider using someone like Louisa after hearing. Good evening, Louisa. It's uh, so great to have you on work actually today. Thank you for joining. Oh, thank you so much for asking. I'm not quite sure how I'm going to answer any of the questions, but I'm excited to be here. It's all about what you do, so I'm hoping you'll be okay at answering them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'll, put, I'll string, try and string something together. <laughs> We're going to learn all about the role of an art consultant today. I was just yep. saying to you before this record that I didn't, you know, consciously hadn't really thought about the role before. And, and you were saying, well, you hadn't really either before you did it. But in essence, essentially, you are an expert or a specialist in finding bespoke solutions, art solutions for clients, whether kind of private individuals or even on a kind of more business um, level or, or interior designers working alongside them alongside them in sourcing um, the perfect art for different settings. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, yeah, I, I would say that the best way I've, I mean, lots of people have absolutely no idea what an art consultant is and it sounds terribly grand and quite scary to a lot of people but actually all I really am is a personal shopper for art so I remember after I had my babies and I'd lost all my wardrobe mojo my now ex-husband kindly bought me a a personal shopper at Topshop and they went and picked the load of the clothes from the floor and brought them to the changing room and said, you know, try this and try that. And really, that's what I do with art. You know, it's a huge world, the art world, and it's scary and it's quite intimidating. Mm. And some gallerists, some galleries are petrifying places to walk into and uh, I try and just demystify that. I try and I, I'm i the one that goes into the galleries. I'm the one that um, has the knowledge. And I just come to you and say, well, just why don't we try this on for size? And why don't we have a look at this? And have you thought about trying it in this color? And that's really what I do. And so do you tend to work then with people who aren't really akin to the art world, so people without much knowledge or experience in buying and experiencing art, or do you have clients that kind of vary? You know, like a personal shopper, I guess, even if they know fashion a lot, may still want someone to help them. Exactly. The thing I love about art and the art world is it is infinitely interesting. Mm. And I will never, ever know everything there is to know I will never know even a fraction of what there is to know. And so as a result, I help people who have wildly different amounts of knowledge because actually what I think I'm, you know, one of my key strengths in my job is research. In some ways, my job is a research-based job because I can't possibly know everything about the art world. And so if I get a brief from a client who wants a very particular type or a particular style or a particular genre or from a different period of time, I uh, go away and research it. 
and and find the answers for them, find the artworks for them. And as a result, I work with people who have absolutely no knowledge and have nowhere, they don't know where to start looking. But I, I also work with clients who've got a pretty defined idea of what they do like. They've got a very particular style that they like, and they might just be looking for one or two pieces to add to it. So it's a very collaborative process. And yeah, and I work with, with, with all, all sorts of all sorts of people. It must be really interesting the different kinds of experiences that you have in terms of sometimes you are you know doing it literally a blank canvas if someone's house you know perhaps it's a new house or a newly decorated room or are you sometimes actually going in to help add to to rooms in a house that already have a sense of style and and a vision and and you have to try and match that as well. Absolutely. It, there's really when I go to someone's house, there are a number of scenarios that I can uh, encounter. The first is um, that the house has maybe been designed by an interior designer and it has a very specific scheme and a very specific interior. And the client would like me to choose artwork that matches or enhances the scheme. Um but sometimes I go and there's a completely blank canvas and I'm actually at the beginning of a renovation project and the client would like the artwork to lead the interior scheme. Um, sometimes I go to people's houses and they've already got the artwork and actually what they want is my eye in terms of creating a gallery wall or rehanging the artwork or hanging the artwork in a different way within within the house and oddly that is you know really people find that service incredibly in, incredibly useful and adding value because um, how you hang a painting weirdly in a room can make a huge amount of difference to how the whole room looks so most people hang artwork way too high, for example, and actually it feels like the artwork's kind of floating off in the ether. So just hanging the artwork at the right height, often in somebody's house, already makes the work look a hundred times better on the wall. So one of the things I love about my job is that I never know what I'm going to find and I never know what the job is going to require. It's that moment when I stand on a client's doorstep and I ring the bell or the buzzer or the, the knocker um, on the door, I it's really, really exciting for me. And the other thing is, is what I love going into people's houses and poking around. It's, you know, for anyone who likes things like, um, you know, grand designs or location, location, this is absolutely the perfect job to go and and, and poke around people's houses and, and do a little bit of house porn. I was going to say, actually, um, when you go to people's houses in a non-work capacity, do you find, though, it's really hard to not be looking around at, oh, you haven't hung that properly, or, or, or the other way, seeing something that really inspires you and think, God, I love how they've done that. Yeah, I, I think one of the things about my job is, in a sense, I mean, I don't really call my job work, to be honest, because I love it so much. But in a sense, I am always working. So I am like a magpie. You, you know, if I, I can't even go to a coffee shop without looking at the artwork on the wall. I have found some great art in coffee shops over the years, in good coffee shops. I'm always looking at the art in everybody's house. I look at the art. I even look at the art in the window of estate agents that's on the walls of the houses <laughs> that they're selling. Oh, yeah. Um, you, you know, I, I like nothing more than one of those, you know, Country Life magazine or what what's, I can't remember the magazine that has all the incredible houses, you know, the really expensive houses. And I don't look at the gardens. I look at the artwork that they've got on the walls for inspiration. So, um, yes, it, it's it's always fascinating to, you know, it, 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 again, it's part of the joy of the job. It's an infinite amount of inspiration out there when you where you but when you start looking for it mm, I can imagine and and I want to go back to the beginning in a second but before we do just quickly if with things like social media and Pinterest and Instagram and also places that sell really affordable versions of art you know whether it be yep. or, or print 
has that made your job harder in a sense because people have this kind of feeling that they can do it themselves there's resources out there to help no because I think that for the people who feel that they can do it they've always been able to do it again back to the personal shopper analogy you know there are people who um will be perfectly happy going up and down the high street and choosing their clothes for themselves you know there are there are people who have that confidence but at some sometimes and sometimes in your life you lose the confidence or you get a new house and your style that you had before you know often i find that when people are upsizing it's like their furniture and their 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 artwork suited uh, their previous house, but then they move maybe to a much bigger or much grander home, and all of a sudden everything they had before doesn't suit the new place, and they don't quite know how to work on the bigger format, or they don't quite know how to scale up, or they don't quite know about big artwork or more expensive artwork. So I'm I'm blessed. I you know the phone keeps ringing. I don't I don't I think the art world is a is a huge place and there's room for you know everybody in it you know I provide a very specialist bespoke service and you know touch wood thank you god uh so far I'm blessed with clients it's um yeah I think I provide a you know a very particular kind of service that people need Mm. And do you come across the perception that it's really your your specialism is really only for quite wealthy people? I mean, looking at your fees, it looks like, you know, people could afford you because for a lot of people, especially now, where you live is so important to feel yeah. relaxed and happy. And I mean, this year more than yeah. ever, we're spending so much time at home. And so making it as nice and pleasurable as possible is important. But do you find the perception is that it's really just rich people that would have someone like you? Yeah, a- absolutely. The, so the perception is absolutely that an art consultant is a petrifying, expensive thing. Because of course, there are some art consultants that are petrifying, expensive people. Um, uh, but I I did not, and, you know, God bless the people who have learnt this business um, from a Christie Sotheby's perspective um, and who have done years and years of art history uh, study and have become a specialist in a very refined, rarefied field in the art world. But that is not how I learnt this trade, my trade. I learnt it's bottom up. And I um, was blessed, my first career, my well, my, my um, career history, I actually did a degree in geography at Oxford. Oh. So, and I was totally rubbish at art at school. And my first career was uh, as a marketing manager at Unilever. And then I um, had my children or had two of the three that I have and I couldn't reconcile raising my kids with the level that I was at. I was quite senior by then and I would have had to travel around the world um, in a kind of you know global role. Yeah. And I decided I had to give up my career, uh, which I did. And then I was lucky enough to... Um, be given some money to to do a course as part of an expatriation that me and my ex-husband were were doing and so I did a a course in art history for a year Rococo to modernism period at the V&A and um, that was amazing and from that I then was uh, walking along the street you know chatting to a woman from this from nursery who had an art gallery and she asked me to help her sell art at the London Art Fairs, the Affordable Art Fair, the London Art Fair. There was one called Art London at the time. And I was just so desperate. I had three children by then under the age of four. And I was so desperate to escape (laughs) that I agreed to work for her um, for £30 £30 a day, which which was more money, uh, which was less money sorry than what I was paying my babysitter to look after oh, my God, children I can imagine. 
And my ex-husband was furious about this, you know. Uh, but, you know, I was just so excited to get a pair of heels on and makeup and, you know, be in a glamorous place and to be able to have a coffee without someone interrupting you. <laughs> and and so I worked for her for several years um, doing that, you know, three or four times a year. And then from that, you know, and I, from that I was, I was interested in art. And so from that, I uh, then started uh, uh, completely addictively um, doing the Royal College of Art secret postcard fair, which is this amazing thing where they have 2,200 postcards and uh, you can only see the front of the postcard. You can only see the image that the artist has created. And then you buy the postcard. I think they're £45 each now. Um, And you know, you t- you go and collect it, um, and you turn it over, and you see who has uh, created your postcard. Oh, yeah. So, so you can get a, you know, a, they are they say you can get a Damien Hurst or a, mm-hmm. you know, famous person for forty five pounds. And so, so each time I would forensically research the show, and they would online reveal the names of the po- of the artists after the sale. And so I would print off these pages and pages of 2,200 postcards, and I would uh, cross-reference them. And then next year, I would get a bit better. And the year after, I would get a bit better. And so after about four years of doing this, I actually started to know quite a lot about you know mm. art in 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 london or you know in the country um and then i was obviously still working for the art fairs and then i started collecting art myself with a very small c um and started going to all the degree shows um of all the major uh, london art colleges and you know that was amazing um, and I started to buy some things there. And the first thing I bought there um, was a painting by Sarah Lederman. And um, she then uh, was nominated for, a, it was a wonderful prize, the Catlin Prize, run by a, a, a wonderful gallerist, Justin. And um, she was picked um, uh, in the Catlin Prize and she won it. And this was the first graduate painting I had ever bought. And I just, she, Sarah very sweetly invited me and I thought, oh, crikey, you know, of all of the degree show works that I've seen and I've bought one and, you know, she's won this really good prize. And I thought, I, I must have an eye, you know, I, I, I must be all right at this. And it gave me enormous confidence about trusting my eye and trusting mm-hmm. my instinct. And really from there, it, it then grew, you know, I then started to get more confidence. But that's a very long-winded answer to why I am cheap. People do think an art consultant is 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 expensive, but actually, um, I only cost one hundred and fifty pounds. So the way it works is, um, if you want to buy some artwork, uh, you can engage my services. Uh, you can pay me one hundred and fifty pounds, and I will come up with ten ideas for your space, and then you buy the artwork. You, we find one that you like and then you buy the artwork from the gallery um, or the artist at retail price. So you pay them exactly what you would have paid if you had walked in off the street and they give me an introductory fee or a commission right. uh, to thank thank me for bringing you to them. And that's how I make my money. And people, you know, find the fact that only paying 150 pounds and they save hours of time and they get 15 years of knowledge and they might get a good tip about who is on the up a few of my clients are very happy with me they've you know doubled their money in the artworks that they've bought through me in in less than a year so you are dealing with actual collectors as well um yes I'm dealing yeah absolutely I'm dealing I'm de- I'm dealing I deal with whoever phones me <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that is incredibly cheap though really you're looking at 15 pound an idea which I- I'm guessing you spend time on obviously and like you said it's 15 years of experience and plus just going back to the role that you had although you changed careers it sounds like a lot of your knowledge from the marketing world as well has been helpful surely in especially when you were doing the different shows and compiling and and being aware of how to market to people yes I think that my marketing career 
um, my marketing skills have been useful in marketing my own business. But I think that marketing a small business is very different to marketing a global brand. I mean, yeah. I was make I was doing full marketing mixes of, you know, my fame my the, my famous thing I was famous for was a, a, a launch called Magnum Seven Deadly Sins that was rolled out globally. And the skills that you're doing for that are really quite different in a sense. You know, I'm managing large teams, I'm managing the factory, I'm managing uh, the design process, I'm managing the advertising agency. So in a way, what the, the, the skills that's transferable from that into this job are project management, teamwork, communication skills. So those are transferable skills. But I think, um, weirdly, the really transferable skill is understanding a brief. So when I was a marketing manager, I think one of the things that I was really good at doing was writing a brilliant brief. I was taught so well. I'll never forget who taught me. He's called Patrick Cairns. And he now, I think, runs Bingham's for the UK, you know, those nice ready meals. Mm. And he he taught me how to write a brilliant brief. He made me cry a few times because he would reject <laughs> my brief so many times until I got it right. But after maybe a year of working with him, I could I could write a marketing brief like seamlessly. Mm. I could just write it on the back of a fag packet almost. <laughs> and I think that my key a key skill in this job that perhaps isn't so obvious at first is interpreting the client's brief mm. and understanding what the client really wants. And sometimes the client doesn't really know what they want. Yeah. And I think where my job, where I am really quite good at adding value is listening very, very carefully to them and interpreting their brief, getting the brief clear, because once you understand the brief, then finding the artwork is a doddle. So that's that. Yeah. So I think I think that is a very transferable skill over. I think you make a really good point there about because you're in the kind of job where, you know, art is so subjective and you will have your own tastes and ideas of what will look good. But you yeah. are also providing a service to someone who may not understand, but may know what they want. And Absolutely. regardless of whether you think it looks nice Absolutely. or is a good choice. Absolutely. It is ultimately it, their choice, isn't it? It is. It's absolute. It's 100% their choice. And no one has bought a piece of artwork from me that, uh, well, I don't think a client would ever buy a piece of artwork that I like and they don't. Um, I remember years ago looking at, um, you know, we went uh, looking for, we when we first moved back to London, we went to Blackheath because we were thinking of moving to Blackheath. And we were taken around by an estate agent. And he said, I have never sold a single house in my life. The house sells itself. I right, just yeah. opened the door. And... I feel the same about the artwork I show people. I, I don't sell you artwork. I can't sell you artwork because it's you have to have an emotional reaction to it. Mm. I will show you artwork that I think is worth looking at and you will decide whether you want to buy it or not. Mm. And so what is the process that you have? Uh, I take it now most of it is done kind of virtually at the moment, but would you have before actually met kind of face-to-face -face and, and listened and seen the house and and then you go away or do you do kind of an initial phone consultation and then put the ideas yeah. together? The way it works is people call me, we have a little chat on the phone and I explain the process and that, that chat is always free. Um, the minute I, the minute, when I go to someone's house, that's sort of when the, the charging or the billing, the £150, the clock starts ticking. Mm. And I do prefer to always visit a house, to be honest, because there's a very, there's some real nuances of, again, selecting artworks for houses that are difficult sometimes to communicate 
just online. And that's all to do with how the space feels and how the light feels and how you approach a room or a vista, how you walk into a room, how your line of sight as you come into a room is actually quite important in terms of where you place the artwork within the room. And these are all little tiny nuances that are quite difficult to pick up. Sunlight is really important. You know, is the wall in direct sunlight? Is it going to have a glare or is it north facing room? And it's going to feel always quite cold and a little bit dark. Um, Because again, the artwork that you choose uh, can can radically affect, you know, warm up a room or cool down a room. So I do prefer to go to clients' houses. Um, I get a better sense of them. I get a sense of how they live. I I like to see, I know it sounds weird, but I like to see what they wear. I like to see what colour clothes they wear. Yeah, no, that makes sense. often that tells you a little bit about, you know, what their palette, what their preferred palette is. So I do prefer to go, but... Um, COVID was really, in some ways, um, I shouldn't say it like this, but in some ways it was an opportunity and a blessing for me because um, I had, you know, had on my list for a long time to be able to mock works up on the wall digitally. And I'd never, ever got round to skilling up in that area. And when lockdown happened, the first thing I did was to spend the time some time learning how to mock artwork up digitally Mm. and and so now I I can do everything completely virtually I can you know just ask you for photos I can drop artworks in and that's proven to be a really really popular and really successful sort of skill really because again if you are somebody that doesn't have confidence so much and that's often a reason why people ask me to help them is they don't have confidence themselves seeing the artwork digitally mocked up on the wall just gives them that little bit of reassurance that it's going to look great I I mean I know it's going to look great but I've got the experience to know it's going to look great just mocking it up on the wall for someone just helps them imagine it and puts it a little bit into context do you have it? Uh, do you have many experiences where you go and people think they know exactly what they want and end up with something completely different? Yes, I I think that again one of the things I that I like doing is you know they they will if they give me a brief and they say they want ten ideas I'll give them ten ideas that answer the brief and then I always throw in a few like few more ideas that are what I would do <laughs> yeah. and. You know, sometimes that you know, I think yeah, I think I think in answer to that question, that happens a lot. People that people say, I would never have done that. I would never have. I think one of the things that people off most often say is that they would never have hung work as large as I mm. suggest. So I would say the second um, big faux pas that or the second mistake, the second naivety, let's call it, that people make in hanging artwork in their house is that they hang artwork that is too small for the wall. Mm. And often when I do the rehangs, the first thing I do is take all the small work off the large walls and put the small work back into on small walls um, or create a gallery wall effect where you hang lots of small work, works together yeah. on, a, on a one large wall. So people are often people often say I would never have picked an artwork that big for that wall and we're delighted with it and and actually that's a bit of a a Mm. trick because it's a it goes against what you think you think that by hanging a small artwork on a large wall it will make the space feel bigger but actually the reverse is true if you hang a large piece of work on a wall it makes the space look bigger. It's really weird. So if you have a tiny space, one trick you can do is to hang big artwork on it and weirdly it makes the wall look, the, the whole space look much bigger. Yeah, I can imagine. And do you, I, I suppose you talk about working with interior designers, but I guess you're almost partly an interior designer as well, aren't you? Because you're visually seeing how it will look and designing that. 
Do you have people that say, you know, can you help me with our own family photos and just how to display them? Absolutely. So um, I think it's, I think that's a very interesting question, the interior designer question. Um, I think in my experience, there are two types of interior designer. There are interior designers that are threatened by art consultants and Mm. they want to um, keep the artwork um, uh, within their remit. Um, yeah. mostly because they probably want to get the commission on it. And there are right. interior designers that, um, then there was the other kind of interior designer that just wants the best service for their clients and actually wants their scheme to look better. And so the really good interior designers all use art consultants and some of the great interior designers use art consultants. Um, so, uh, yes, my um, yeah, my, I do obviously have transferable skills in art into interior design, and sometimes clients say, "Well, what do you think of this and that?" And you know, I I can often throw in a few interior design ideas, but I would say that um, I think a really really important uh, thing in my job is to be honest about what I know and what I don't know. And I am not an interior designer. And I uh, know, for example, that I am rubbish at choosing fabric. I cannot choose a curtain for love nor money. Now, apparently, a, a very good curtain designer, I have a very good curtain designer called Helen, if anyone ever wants one, um, she told me it's because I look at curtains like their paintings so I look at a window and think oh that's a that's a big space to hang a big piece of patterned fabric (laughs) yeah yeah and and I I look at it like it's a painting space and 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 then I choose this is a mistake I made in my own house um you know I chose dreadful curtains for my bedroom I mean (laughs) They were awful. And it's because it was, you know, I, I, I thought it was like a painting. And she said, I need to just really simplify my curtain in my bedroom and just, you know, have a very simple, lovely linen with a small trim detail and not have this huge floral thing that I chose. <laughs> so I, you know, I wrote a, a blog piece on on my website. Um, was one of the first blog pieces I wrote, which was why you should not use an interior designer for your art. And I, I feel the analogy is, you know, is is, is a, there's a parallel with, you know, don't ask me to choose your fabric because I just don't know enough about fabric choosing. I could choose you one or two good fabrics, but I certainly couldn't choose the right fabric for the right room within the right color scheme with the right kind of usage, with the right treatment on it. Um, Yeah, exactly. You wouldn't expect Helen to know how to do your job, would you? No, no. And um, I I really wouldn't. I mean, making curtains is fiendishly specialized, actually. Yeah. So... um, yeah, so that so that's how, you know, I have a few into I have a few I have a, a light smattering of interior design skills, but I leave good, really good interior design should be left for really good interior designers, and I don't want to get involved. And I'm an art specialist, and that's what I'm going to be sticking to. Yeah, but do you ever have anyone that already has the art but wants your help in where to put it? Absolutely. And that's um that costs also £150. Can you see the common thread here? Um <laughs> I like to keep things simple. That's maybe that is my marketing um training. One message and keep repeating it. Um, <laughs> yeah. So that's £150 for a two-hour com- consultation. And I mean again, I'd say again, I that's a lot cheaper than I would have thought. I love those jobs. I mean, those jobs are sometimes really satisfying because um, you go to someone's house and I went to a client's house the other day and they had this um, painting. They had a a collection of Scottish colorists um, Mm. 
works and they were all they, they looked absolutely disgusting if i'm honest and they they were all in these awful frames they were in like 1980s frames now i wouldn't expect you know what a 1980s frame looks like but a, a 1980s frame looked like 1980s fashion you know it, they were right. big and they like had they, they had shoulder pads and they were glitzy and okay okay you, yeah you i know. get what you mean yeah <laughs> too many curves and right um and so we took this painting to and i thought well i can see something i can see something in this painting that's okay i mean even then at that point i didn't really like it so i took it to one of my framers and we chose a new frame for it and um, when he, when we went to collect the work, I mean, he's a framer with God knows how many years of experience he's got, maybe 30. Mm. He, he showed me the painting and he was so excited. And he said, I did not like this painting when it arrived, but when I had this reframed, I actually want this on my wall in my hall. Oh, wow. And, and we, we all compliment. got goosebumps. We all, we, he framed it. It wasn't really anything to do with me, but we all got goosebumps because this painting was just absolutely magnificent once it had been taken out of this dreadful frame and put in this lovely, elegant thing. And yeah. and that, you know, that painting, just getting that painting reframed, I think the reframing of it cost the client maybe £450 or something. Framing is unfortunately never cheap. but. No. She has got an amazing piece of artwork now on her wall for the £450 that she paid for the reframe and the £150 from me. And she's repurposed and reused a painting and just completely brought it back to life. And mm. that's that's really satisfying. I mean, that just sort of, that feels like the right thing to be doing with some of the things that we have in our house. I mean, the other way of doing that is, creating gallery walls for clients and you go around the house and you pick a you know little prints from here and you I mean we've all got these things that when we went traveling we bought you know a Moroccan plate that the minute you yeah. the minute you get it back in the house you think god what was I thinking <laughs> you know, it looks it looks dreadful back in rainy London it looked great in the souk it looked amazing in the souk but back in London it's like what, what was I thinking <laughs> um but you know if you you can pull together these little eclectic uh, collections of people's maybe mistakes let's call them and actually weirdly if you hang them in the right way they can really look you know super gorgeous so um that's that's a really you know th that's a really that's a, you know oddly satisfying part of my job oh I, I it's not odd I think that I can totally imagine why that's satisfying I mean art is so subjective I love it when I go to someone's house and they've got lot. It doesn't have to be expensive art. Just lots of interesting things on the wall, and the way they That's present great. them, and even just photos. I just, I love at getting a sense of the people that live there. I think that passion and love shine through anything yeah. you do, and I think that if you buy something because you love it, it always somehow resonates with a little extra glow on the wall um I you know I think that I mean that is my only piece of advice for people in the art world who, who want to buy art is buy what you love you know I cannot if I had a crystal ball I would I, mean, I should probably lie I would still probably do my job but I would just do it for free but if I had a crystal ball and I could tell what art was going to appreciate in value I would go and buy all that art and make millions okay but I don't have a crystal ball I'm I've been lucky enough to make a few very well educated uh, pieces of give give a few well educated pieces of advice on that front, but most of all, I advise people to just buy what they love because most of us, normal people, let's say, 
we buy artwork and and we live with it for years you know mm. uh, people we buy artwork at key points in our life we buy artwork when we buy our first house or we buy artwork when we upsize or we buy artwork when we've had the whole house repainted most normal people most of us and that I include well maybe I'm a little bit unusual because I do I'm always seeing I always seem to be buying the odd little bit here and there but most normal people and I would put myself in that category we we buy you know a piece of art to hang above our sofa and it stays there for 10 or 15 years and you know you must just buy what you love and what makes your heart sing and when I present my ideas to clients I can tell when they have that moment of falling in love. They just go, oh, I love that. And it's like, well, okay, that's great job done. That's that's the one. You know, (laughs) we don't have to think this through anymore. You've fallen in love, but that's Mm. it. Let's let's get it. And, you know, it's it's a bit like being a matchmaker. If only it was that easy on Bumble. Where oh, is, I hear you completely. Bumble <laughs> consultant out there. Can you find one of those and interview a Bumble consultant and put me yes, in touch with them, a, please? That is such a good idea, actually. Yes. It's a brilliant idea. I would love somebody to go through my profile and tell me that my photos are wrong and I need this photo and that photo and they write the thing for me. I would pay a consultant for that in an like- instant. I feel like in your line of work there, you could meet some really interesting people. Maybe some, you know, newly divorced. Oh, no. Get a new wow, house. I can't or... possibly say a word on that. <laughs> that would be telling. That would be telling. There, there's been one or two very, very art men are very nice. They're very, they're, they're very, very interesting art men. They are creative. They are emotionally um deep they are sensitive they are fascinating yes I have I've got some very big soft spots for some art men and they will know who they are (laughs) (laughs) I love it um and another thing you might not be able to talk about but do if you can um do you ever have any celebrity clients or people you know high profile Let me think about, I've got, I'm very big into honesty and authenticity. So my, the, my, the honest answer to that is I do not, let me think, do I? No, I do not have any famous clients yet. Okay. Is there someone you'd love to work with? Well, I do believe in manifesting what you want in life massively. And I... Um, I'm currently, I have been manifesting now for um, six months uh, that I would like a footballer client who mm-hmm. has a massive house, maybe out in Isha or something, with no, but has has no taste. And I mean, I, I support Chelsea, and I imagine half the team that probably live around there and don't have any taste. Well, well I mean. <laughs> I mean, you know, it sort of suggests that they have no taste as a human, but they have no taste today, but they would like taste. You know, it's mm. like, um, I, I do think taste, I mean, and again, I think that taste, it's interesting this, you know, it's interesting that we've raised this as a, as a sort of side issue. I mean, I think taste is something that you can learn. You know, I think. Oh, yeah, I agree. You, you can learn about wine. You can learn about food. You can learn about perfume. You know, perfume is, you know, a wonderful, interesting. There's all sorts of geeky, you know, classical music. I'm just starting to get a little bit into classical music. And mm. um, I've met this old lady who um, was married to a very famous um, conductor and she knows everything about classical music and I know absolutely nothing and I am just learning from her and it's amazing you know she is passing on her taste to me and, and and saving me hours of time and just pointing me in the right directions for the great stuff and you know in in a way you know so, yes, so that's what I would like. I would like a footballer who, who knows he has no taste, but who would like some and wants to learn. And I would like him to have a big house 
uh, here and then maybe one in Ibiza and then maybe <laughs> uh, one in Miami. And I would very much like to be his long-term art consultant yeah. and help him with all his houses. And maybe we'll start a collection and shift some work around. So I was right. reading about... I think it's our mission now to okay. find this. So yeah, and I was we'll reading about David Bowie, actually, a while ago when he died. And he had an art consultant who... Um, he found her uh, and she worked for him completely anonymously for years, putting together his collection. And all I will say is if anyone famous wants to call me up, my lips are sealed. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think will... what you said about taste is actually is really important. I mean, I was just kind of joking about, yeah, you know, footballers yeah. are no taste. Because yeah. I actually think that what you may find is people who – don't know anything can sometimes be more open-minded in learning like you are going into classical music you're quite happy to admit you don't know much so you're willing to learn it and and understand and I think sometimes people with strong tastes can be slightly more closed-minded to other things do you know I've just done I've just done a client who has just bought the most wonderful set of um Sir Terry Frost prints it's a set called Halzephron and very hard to find and we managed to mean the gallerist Georgia Stoneman thank you very much little <laughs> plug there for her you know good good teamwork for the girls there but the sisterhood um we found this set and this client um you know had a huge blank wall and sort of announced that she she didn't know what you know she didn't she sort of said she had no taste well as it turned out she had great taste mm. she just needed someone to put things in front of her and her taste as it turns out was great not cheap <laughs> um, uh, uh, I think her husband was a bit cross about how good her taste was, so to speak. But, you know, mm. she really had innate taste. She just didn't know how to get it out or, or where to look. And that was wonderful. You know, that's like, um, you know, that must be like coaching uh, an athlete who has got great innate ability, but they don't know how to use it or how to put it together. So, I'm, you know, all I am is I'm a facilitator. And yeah, again, that's a really satisfying part of my job is to, and then you see people who've got no confidence in their taste. And then you put lots of things in front of them and they start saying, oh no, but I, I really like that. And I go, well, yeah, so do I. I mean, that's, you know, that's a great thing. And they're like, really? Do you really think? And I, yes, it is. And you see them have co- start to get confidence in, in, in themselves which of course is the journey I went on you know the Sarah winning the late the Catlin prize I was like oh maybe oh maybe I can do this you know and mm-hmm. and I think all of us when we when we try something new whether that is learning a new language or learning about a whole a different part of the world you know we we all need to be held and we all need to be supported and it's it's nice to have someone hold your hand in some ways I I know I've done a really good job when my clients are often running on their own and so they might buy a few things from me but then they might start buying things completely on their own and they'll send me photos of things that they've bought on their own and I mean, I don't make any money from that, but I'm, I'm terribly happy for them. I mean, yeah, that's really, really nice. Yeah, it's really satisfying because you think they're off and running. It's like it's like a child when they learn to ride a bike. You know, <laughs> all of a sudden they're off riding and they realise that you're not. They look back and you see that first look where they're not holding. Yeah, they realise Mum's not holding me anymore, and it's what yeah. you know. It's wonderful and. That's so a, that's the thing. You say, oh, I'm just a facilitator, but you're not really. You're actually, you know, really empowering people. And art is clearly not just your job. Like you said, it's a passion. And I really enjoyed reading some of your blog posts and looking at ways that people can access art really easily, such as, yeah. you know, jigsaws of art yeah. in lockdown and things. <laughs> yeah. But how important do you think it is to ensure that art is easily accessible to different people and is allowing especially younger generations the opportunity to experience different elements of art as well as 
young or, or newer artists having platforms to showcase it. So when you are, are buying, are you aware of maybe also looking to support art communities or, or unknown artists? Well, that's interesting you say that. Um, so I think that um, there's no such thing as bad art. Um, and I don't know whether you saw it, but for me, one of the highlights of lockdown was Grace and Perry's art club that I think it was on Channel 4. And I think, I didn't know. oh, my goodness. I mean, it was like sitting in a warm bath. Aww. It was the most wonderful um, show. And the reason it was wonderful is that Grayson Perry completely, he, he he took away all the, you know, I mean, this is, you know, one of England's most successful artists. He shows the Victoria Milo, Miro Gallery and, you know, but he completely um, uh, made... He made. He asked the country to make artwork, and he selected them for a show that he's going to do. And you know, art is a okay. Art is a thing that you can buy. But the more I do in this job, the more I realise that art is is way more than that. It mm. is genuinely um, a an, a way of expressing feeling. It is a way of um, finding great joy both in in um consuming it but also in the doing of it and and it can really deliver pack it can pack very very important messages and i'm actually doing i've actually just spent the weekend uploading artworks to the london art fair um uh, site London Art Fair is a great art fair that happens every January. It's in Islington, and this year that's I, where I am. Ah, <laughs> oh, you're a North London girl. That's why I like you. I'm. <laughs> is it in the design centre? It is exactly. I'm Aye. secretly a North London girl, but I've been stuck in Wandsworth all my life. Um, <laughs> I'm spiritually with you. I'm spiritually with you. Um, come over. Come uh, back. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, well, I mean, I, yeah, I, it's, I will one day. Never say never. And um, so it's a great art fair. And I decided this year to apply for its project space and curate a, a booth with two... Uh, female artists that I have found in the last um, three years that I've been working. And one is called Sherry Curlin. She is a painter from America. And one is called Maurice Cumber, and she's a ceramicist from the UK. And both of them, so neither of them have shown, so in answer to your question, neither of them have shown in, in, in the UK ever. Maurice actually has never had a show at all. She's a completely mm. emerging artist. But I've picked both of them because their work, their artwork, uh, talks about human truth in such a poignant and goosebumpish way that I just had to show them because... You know, Maurice, you know, she's a bit older than me. She's, I'd say in, she's in her, she's born 61. So what is she? She's late, mid mid to late 50s. But mm. she she had a, a, a breakdown in, in her 40s. She had a huge career. She had a breakdown in her 40s. And she talks about how she spent a year crying on her sofa, you know, having a full breakdown. And then she, as part of her process of recovery, she started writing these um, story, uh, writing these uh, her feelings in all these little black notebooks that she then hid in the bottom of her wardrobe. And then she started, she realised that she needed to do something sort of something creative. And so she went back to making pots and she then took these slogans um, and made these vessels and cups and they're things called like the cup of resilience or the cup of near honesty and sleepless nights and and these are you know very autobiographical works that chart you know her realization in as a as a as an older woman now about all her insecurities and fears Sherry Curlin makes these paintings um I bought one after my divorce um called The Smiling Widow. And, and I bought it because she said, I found my life richer and happier as a result of getting over my false need to have a husband. And I was just like, oh my God, I get that, you know. 
And, yeah. you know, th- so these two women, then this is just two women in a huge sea of artists, they are talking, at least to me, about real truths of humanity, mm-hmm. what it is to be a woman, what it is to have social pressure, what it is that, you know, alcoholism, ageing, vanity, pride, loss, depression, loneliness, rape. You know, th- so some arts can can really communicate terribly terribly important deep truths yeah. in very in, in a very succinct way that you know art's amazing mm-hmm. no that's i i really want you to just talk about actually before we finish because i loved it on your website the art above the fireplace series that you did oh well i just love that so much <laughs> yeah so um, I, as I say, I had collected art with a very small C and um, I did have, sadly, a terribly traumatic, um, acrimonious divorce. Mm. And as part of that, um, my ex-husband's uh, divorce team uh, wanted our, my art collection to be valued by Christie's. And um, it was going to cost a fortune. And I was, I was this ridiculous, you know, it's what a waste of money. You know, these are things that I have bought through love over the years. I haven't bought them for investment. They're not worth anything, you know, particularly. Let's just divide the art up, you know, one, 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 you know, you have one, I have one. So we had to go to court to get this decided. And um, it was decided by the judge that we didn't have to get it valued by Christie's. We could just pick one each. Uh, and I sweetly, I felt, said, well, he can pick first, okay? And so he did. And so he came to the house and he picked all the big things. So he picked mm. the biggest paintings. And the the biggest painting in the house was the one above the fireplace. And it was a beautiful painting by Ian Grant, uh, a wonderful landscape of that we had purchased as a memory of our time in Australia. And it really was a lovely thing. and. I had to let it, you know, I, I had to let it go. That was the agreement. And I was yeah. very, I was very sad about it. And so then there was this big space above the fireplace and, you know, I was divorced then and didn't have, or I didn't have the money to replace it. And so I thought, well, what am I going to do? And I thought, well, when life serves lemons, you make lemonade. And I thought I'm going to use this space as a showcase for artists that I believe in to show their work on a rotational basis above my fireplace. I love it. And that's what I do. So I invite artists probably, you know, when I remember, like, so it's probably realistically every six months and they, (laughs) they come and hang the artwork and we have a cup of tea. We used to in the old days, we now stand on the doorstep Mm -hmm. and have a cup of tea and I get to, to learn to meet them and understand them and they get to show their work in, quite a nice space and it goes on Instagram and it goes on my website in my series and it's turned out to be again a really fulfilling spiritually fulfilling kind thing to do and so out of sadness and loss has come a really wonderful fulfilling tiny little platform for artists to and and I you know I've 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 not sold any of the work, uh, but that's not what it's about. It's about, um, you know, giving, I think it's about saying to them, I see something and I'm interested. And and sometimes for emerging artists who are starting off early in their career, that's as pretty much as that, that's the kind of boost that they need. You know, you, Mm -hmm. they, they just need someone to say, no, keep going. It's it's in, there's something interesting and good here, and if if I can do that for for a handful of artists, then that that's a very very nice way to give back to the community. I think that's so nice. And how do you find these artists? Yeah, I mean, I think I was thinking about this the other day. Um, I probably spend um, every week at least I would say at least ten hours a week, maybe twenty, looking at art in various mm. different guises and f- because for me that is like my hobby so I could easily spend three hours a night 
looking at all the online art fairs, for example, or looking at the secret postcard fair online, for example. So I'm, I'm, I'm consuming huge, huge, huge volumes of artwork. So finding artists is, is never a problem. And lastly, how do you find clients? Does a lot of it come from word of mouth? Someone works with you, likes it, recommends you? I have absolutely no real idea how I get clients. Oh, really? Um, do you not no, ask them? I, well, no. I mean, they, they, are, they are nearly all recommended, uh, I, I would yeah. say. My business is getting some real traction now. I'm incredibly grateful. And I think it's because it's probably, I think it is almost exclusively a word of mouth business. And I think Mm. that when you have a word of mouth business and you have one client, which obviously we all start with one client, that one client recommends you to maybe one person a year. And so you get one, by by the end of year one, you have two clients. Um, (laughs) But obviously, by the time you've done a few years and you've got 10 clients, they recommend you to 10 people that year. And so it, you snowball. And so I'm really, really, really blessed. The phone always seems to ring. And That's really, brilliant. really nicely, I'm now getting clients that are coming back to me um, from things that they bought, you know, five, five to 10 years ago. So they had a blob of buying artwork then and now they're at a slightly different life stage and they want to come back and buy another blob and I haven't heard from them for five years and that's that's lovely you know that's 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 really nice because that meant that they really liked the stuff for five years that you bought them last time you know so Mm. I'm so lucky yeah that's fantastic really really nice and um, also, I want you to recommend a good framer for me. Actually, I've got a few Ooh, bits that um, well, I'd love to now hear. my framing my framing black book is broad and wide. I have a different framer for every different job, and so depending yeah. on what you wanted to have done, I would pick the framer according to uh, what job you needed doing. And um, framing advice: if you buy artwork from me is free if you recommend me and they use my services i buy you a bag of space nk goodies to say thank you for recommending me oh my god that is a blooming treat oh fantastic thank you for that and um, it's been so lovely to speak to you really lovely i think you've got a really interesting but you know i was thinking when i was reading your notes about this I, you know for children at GCSE, um, A-level, you know, these podcasts are fascinating because I don't know about you, but when I was at school, I mean, I'm older than you, you know, we, we had a sort of careers thing and it, you know, it said I should be a librarian. I did, but I didn't know that it, it had like five jobs on it, you know, but I didn't know that all these jobs existed. Yeah, I think yeah. for young people, for my teenagers to 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 know about a podcast like this and to know that there are so many different paths through life and they don't have to be a doctor or a lawyer. I think you've you've Absolutely. really hit a really interesting vein of Thank you so much. I've actually got quite a few friends who are teachers who have been um setting it as kind of homework to listen to some of the episodes, which has been fantastic because yeah, like you say, there are lots of people and actually just for example, I had a, pre- a female Premier League reporter on, which was fantastic because it's such a rare thing still to have women yeah. in that line of yeah. work um, talking. Yeah. A female West End star, also a, a male former footballer who had to change career and he retrained as a journalist and now he helps yeah. represent footballers. And, and it's just... He'll have my clients! <laughs> He came into my head when um, you were talking, so I'll happily drop him a line and tell him to listen. <laughs> well, um, it's been so nice to talk to you. So lovely talking. Thanks so much, Louisa. No worries. Have a good night. Okay, you too. Bye. Take care. Bye. So that was Louisa Warfield. Find out more about her services on her website, which I'll put in the show notes. And also check out her blog because it's a really nice read and some great tips and ideas on there. And also loads of images of the amazing work she's done with clients. Now tune in next week to hear all about the life of a head chef in fine dining. So, you know, when I was 
telling people, oh, I'm going to be a chef when I'm older, they'd say, don't do it. Don't do it. Honestly, you won't have weekends. You won't have uh, you know, time off when your friends are partying. You'll be cooking for them. And, you know, you take it in your stride. You say, yeah, but it's what I want to do. And then the first day, week, month in a kitchen is a, a massive reality check. You know, you you wonder if it's the right move you know, 10, 20 times a day. This chat was so interesting. I interviewed Nico Fitzgerald, head chef at London Stock in Wandsworth and someone who trained at Le Cordon Bleu as well as working at Heston Blumenthal's The Heinz Head as well as other places. And if you think chefing at that level is tough, you don't know the half of it. Listen to get a real insight into that world and how unless you are so, so passionate about chefing and food, he wouldn't wish it on his worst enemy. So see you then.